As Sam mentioned, we're stepping into our global missions next number of weeks. And this message today kicks off our global missions conference on the why behind missions. And to kick off that focus for the next few weeks, I want us to look this morning at a man who's named Abraham. Now, in the text I'm going to read, his name comes up as Abram. And that's absolutely true. But later on, God changes his name to Abraham. But for the sake of consistency, we're just going to go with Abraham this morning instead of going back and forth. And in his story, we're going to get a sense of God's global mission and how we can begin to be a part of it, even in our participation today. You know, so often when we talk about missions and the whole movement of God in the world, uh, we have people talk or all talk about the what is happening. Here's what someone's doing or here's how that mission is going. And one of the questions that rarely gets answered is, well, why are we doing this in the first place? And we can make these assumptions that as more generations come along, that the why is always going to be understood. But my, my estimation and in my conversations, I'm just finding again and again that we can be really clear about what international work is doing and how people are doing it, but we've forgotten the why. And so for this missions conference, as we kick off here this morning, I want us to look at the why together as we begin in Genesis 12. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me there. Genesis 12 verses one to seven. The scripture will also be coming up on the screen. You can follow along there because what we see here. It's really the initiation of God's global mission, God's global rescue mission to set things right that were broken by sin. So let's look now together. Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 7 says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his, nep- his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree at Moreh, at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. This is the word of the Lord. Now, just a word or two about the place of this particular story in Genesis 12 in the whole narrative scope of where Genesis is going. In Genesis 12, 1, what we see is the writer marking a new stage in God's relationship with human beings. Up to this point, Genesis has been talking kind of in these great universal terms. It's about the creation of the world. It's about the creation of human beings. It's about the expansion of the human race. It's about the loss that happened at Eden, the loss of community. We read these stories about this great global flood. And it shows how up to this point in Genesis that God has this dream. And God's dream is essentially this, a creation of a community. And God's dream is a community of perfectly loving persons that are fully satisfied in the perfect presence of God. That's what the world was to be. A community of perfectly loving persons that are fully satisfied in the perfect presence of God. That is what the world was supposed to be. And one of the words that the scriptures use is this Hebrew word. We've talked about it before. That God's dream is ultimately a dream called shalom. And shalom is often translated peace. And sometimes we think of peace as simply the absence of conflict. When the Bible speaks of shalom, it's speaking about the fullness or completeness of God being experienced in the context of human community. That shalom is more than just 
no war or no fighting. Shalom is this idea that you have people together in community fully satisfied in Father, Son, and Spirit. That there's no breakdown, that there's no gap, that there's no chasm in relationship. That as things are how they're supposed to be, that's the, that's the way of shalom. So question for you as we begin. Do we have a lot of shalom going on in our world today? Is God's fullness and completeness being experienced by every single person? Across this planet, we would say, no, I mean, just look around us. Think of the things that we just prayed into. And yet God's dream, God's, God's whole heart is about the experience of shalom among human community all over the world. But when human beings chose to sin, when they chose themselves over God's way of life, this dream of community, this way of blessing of shalom between God and humans was broken. And the story in Genesis has come to this point in chapter 12 so skillfully. There's a whole bunch of tension that's being built as you read it. And any reader of the book, and if you read through Genesis in kind of longer portions, you would see this kind of tension building. That any reader of the book will be asking the question right at Genesis 12. This is where all the tension is built up to. We'll be asking this question. So what about God's dream? What about God's relationship with scattered, broken, alienated humanity? It's this massive tension point, and the question sitting right before Genesis 12 is this. Is God's patience exhausted now? Is his dream for the world and for humanity lost forever? Is shalom now just kind of being, is it it just gone? Is there no option for it whatsoever? Now the writer of Genesis here in these words that we've just read begins to answer this question, is the dream of God dead? Is there any hope? And this right here, what we've just read, is so pivotal. Genesis 12 is like a hinge for all of Scripture. Because what's being marked here in Genesis 12 is a new stage of God's relationship with the human race. Because God says, I'm going to start all over again. God says, I'm not going to give up on my dream of a redeemed and reconciled creation that can experience the shalom of Father, Son, and Spirit right now. And so what does God do? Well, God takes this really unremarkable, very fallible man named Abraham, and he says, now you, you are the beginning of a new, of a new community. What began once with Adam and Eve and yet was broken by sin as they defied me and they moved from Eden, God says, now I'm going to begin. Abraham, I'm choosing you to begin again my dream of a new community with you, Abraham. I'm not done. My whole dream of community and blessing and shalom is still my heart for the world. And Abraham, I'm starting with you. And when you look there at Genesis 12, verses 2 and 3, God says this. And here comes the promise. He says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. That is, who's ever in participation with the way of God receives blessing. Whoever is not in participation with the way of God lives a cursed life. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now there's one word that keeps recurring in those two verses. Five times it's repeated. As God is reinitiating his kingdom plan. There's five times a word repeated that expresses the desire of God that motivates all of his actions. And I want to see of the three congregations, which one's smartest. So we're going to see how nine o'clock does. Does anybody notice what word keeps getting repeated in that text? Just call it out. Bless. You got it. This is the promise now. These words are the promise that forms the charter 
for the people of God. Right there. This is God's covenant that he is now forming. He is beginning again with Abraham, which will lead to the people of God, which leads to the people of Israel, which then eventually comes to Christ and is entrusted to the church. But this is where it all begins right here. The whole reason we get behind things and do what we do as a church really begins right here. As we understand the heart of God coming out of creation and that he has not given up his dream of a community of loving persons with God at the center. You see, God started perfect community once, as we've said. It's broken by the fall. He began it again, a new community with Abraham, who he was going to call his people. And this is the promise that goes out to us. Now, one of the reasons, as I was preparing this week, that I wanted to just talk about this a little bit, is that sometimes people get confused about God coming to Abraham and this chosen people of Israel. And sometimes people get the idea that when the Bible talks about Israel and those of Abraham being God's chosen people, that it means that somehow they were his favorites or that he liked them better or that they were kind of like teacher's pet to God and he just liked them a little bit more. And this leaves some people being confused. It's like, what's with this whole chosen people language? You know, either this seems really unfair if you don't get picked for the team, but it must be fair because God can do anything he wants because he's God, but that doesn't seem right here either. So what's going on here? Well, really the key phrase is this promise that comes at the end of verse 3. Just take a look quickly with me. This is verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Some translations use the word families. That every, every family, in all generations, in all places, Abraham, because of what I'm initiating in you today, it's going to result in the blessing of all the families of the earth. Now, this is right at the very beginning of God's formation in keeping his promise to set the world right. He's saying, through you, Abraham, I'm initiating a global rescue mission that's going to result in blessing, in my blessing of peace and shalom being available to everybody on earth. There's one Old Testament scholar, his name is Desmond Alexander. He puts it like this. He says, the primary motive behind the call of Abraham is God's desire to bring blessing rather than cursing on the families of the earth. The promise that Abraham will become a great nation, that is both implying numerous descendants and land, must be understood as being subservient and secondary to God's principal desire. And God's principal desire is to bless all the families of the earth. You see missions, when we talk about global missions, When we talk about evangelism, that is the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. This was all part of God's plan for us, the church, from the beginning. You see, right here, what we see in in Genesis 12 is that God's not just choosing Israel. He's choosing the world. And this relational God, he comes to people and says, Now, Abraham, and now to the church, I'm inviting you to partner with me in seeing that the world is blessed as it was supposed to be. So this whole idea that there's this chosen people that's then they're chosen just for their own good, that's not what's happening here. God's saying, I'm choosing you, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the blessing of the whole world. God is choosing all the families of the earth and all generations. And this is a great part of who God is and God's plan that just runs the whole sweep of the Bible. You know, right through the book of Revelation, when it says this, that the people of God are going to be made up 
of every tribe and every tongue and all people and all nations worshiping around the throne. That what starts here with Abraham that says, God says, listen, I'm going to initiate a global rescue mission to redeem people from the curse of sin and death. And it ends in Revelation with representatives from every tribe, people, and nation standing around the throne saying, blessed be the name of the Lord. Glory to God. Holy, holy, holy. I mean, this is the blessing of God being poured out on every nation and its people experience, experiencing the very glory of God. You know, this whole movement of blessing for God's glory is the why of missions. It's about people in every nation having the opportunity to move from darkness to light, from despair to hope, from curse to blessing by receiving the good news that you can be free in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is good news for the world. It's good news for us. It's good news for everybody. That God's great longing is to bless the world, to bless all the peoples, all the families of the earth. That shalom would reign in every family everywhere. Now, isn't that a vision? That you can get your life behind? When we look at all the brokenness, we look at everything that's wrong in the world. We look at the violence and the pain and all the outpouring of darkness on the world. And yet the very mission of God from the beginning is this. I want shalom, the completeness, fullness of God, the rightness of God to reign in every single family on earth. And so he says to Abraham, I'm forming my people through you. I'm forming my community through you, but I want it really clearly understood from the beginning that the purpose of the new community is not just for that community itself. It's for the blessing of the people of the earth. And God wants to bless Abraham, not just for Abraham's sake, but so that through him, God can bless every, everybody. The idea of blessing, this is what we hang on to as we begin our missions month, is an essential part of God's relationship with human beings. And we don't often maybe think about God like that as a God of blessing. We may have other images and pictures of him. But if you're going to understand the global movement of God, you have to come right down to the heart of God as a God who has this insatiable desire to bless the peoples of the earth, you included. You know, you look back in Genesis 1, and God has created human beings. In verse 27, God creates humankind in his own image, male and female, he created them. You know what the very first thing that God does to human beings after he's created them? He forms them, shapes them, breathes life into them. And then the scripture says, and God blessed them. I mean, with their first breath, first humans, what they heard was the blessing of God being poured out upon them. It says God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Go into the earth, steward it, have dominion over it. Use it for your satisfaction and my glory. Right from the initiation of humankind, God is saying, I'm a God of blessing, and I want you to thrive. I want you to experience shalom and fullness and completeness in every way. To the point, the very first thing God does when he creates human beings is he pours blessing on them. He pronounces shalom over them with his love and all of his mercy and his goodwill. Now, this is just the character trait of God that we see throughout the Bible, that God is for these funny little human creatures that he's made. And that God longs to give himself to us in the experience of blessing. And part of why God did what he did with Abraham was because God loves you so much. I mean, you were part of God's vision, God's dream, when he said, Abraham, 
through you, what I'm initiating today relationally in covenant, it included you. It included your neighbor. It included the person that you may be an enemy with right now. It included people on the other side of the planet that you may never know and never see. And yet we wake up to the fact that God loves that person as much as he loves you. Part of why God did what he did with Abraham was because God loves you so much. It's why he appeared to Abraham and started the whole dream over again so that you, you could experience the shalom of God in your heart and have that be an expression of love and blessing to everybody you come in contact with. It's why he appeared to Abraham and started the whole dream all over again. It's because God longs to bless you and every other person on earth with the very shalom of God that we were created to experience. And friends, that what was true about Abraham, that of course he received a blessing, but God wants to bless you not just for your sake, but so that through you he can bless the whole earth. This is why evangelism and outreach and missions is such a key part of who we are right here at Rexdale Alliance Church and why we're so committed to it. Our commitment goes beyond just the giving of money or having pictures on the board out in the lobby of people we support. It's why international ministries are such a key part of who we are because we've decided, we chose many, many decades ago that we were going to be a church of blessing to the world that we were not going to be a social club of those who already agree and stay insulated inside this place like a bubble. But we were going to stay committed to God's global work. And that as God brought shalom, his blessing to families close by and far away, this church was started from the foundation that said, that's what we want to be a part of. We don't want to create social clubs. We want to be part of God's mission of peace in the world. And whether that means reaching the family next door or somewhere in Yemen or beyond, that's what we want to be part of because that's what God's doing in the world. We want to be part of the promise that God made to his people so that people here in the GTA, uh, an area of the world that is desperate to be blessed, that this city can be blessed. We want to be part of the promise that God made to his people so that people in Cambodia and Eastern Europe and Yemen who are so desperate to be blessed can be blessed through the people of God because anything smaller than that is our mission is too small of a mission for God's church. The mission that God has called us to as a church, when we talk about connecting Rexdale to Jesus and his mission, it's both about the close by and far away. It's a sense that in connecting to Jesus, in finding our life and freedom in him, we get sent on the greatest adventure mission that the world has ever seen to bring the shalom of God to every family on earth. And God did not create his church just for the sake of those, of those of us inside of it. He created his community to be a blessing to the world that God loves so much. You see, God's love and blessing, his blessing of shalom is not just being poured out on the church. God's love is being poured out on the world through the church. We're the conduit of blessing through which God wants to make everything right in this broken world. This is what brings glory to God, which makes this the answer to the why missions. Why would we do this? Because the glory of God experienced as the shalom of God in the nations is what we want to give ourselves to. Because the world is broken enough. There's too many days where darkness seems to be winning. And we as a church can say, we've got to have enough of that. We'd like to see things move in the opposite direction. And God has a plan and God has a mission. And his mission has a church. And we're God's plan A the church of Jesus Christ for the redemption 
of the whole thing. That's why we do missions. It's for the glory of God and the worship of God in the nations, in every nation, in every family, as they experience the shalom of God poured out on them with power. That's the why. So how can you start to participate in the global movement of God to bless every person on earth? I mean, it can be a little mind-boggling. How do you even start? Well, I think one thing we see in the life of Abraham, that I just want us to focus in on for a few moments, One thing we see in the life of Abraham that positioned him to be on mission with God was that he was someone who had learned to hold things loosely. Let's go back to our text. The Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Leave everything that's familiar and go to a new place. And now right now some of you are sweating because that old missions call that you heard one time is starting to come back up in your heart. Well, just don't go there yet. Hold on to that. Now, it's hard for us to appreciate what's actually being done here because we live in a pretty mobile society. Just out of curiosity, now you're going to have to raise your hands on this one, and I know that's uncomfortable. I'm not asking you to confess anything, you know, embarrassing, but I just want to know how many of you, hear this question really carefully, how many of you have lived at some point in your life at least 100 kilometers away from the place you were born? Anybody? So you were born, you've lived, so almost everybody right? A number of us, at least. That was unheard of in Abraham's day. I mean, there's this ancient text from around the time that we think is Abraham's time that tells of a man who disinherited his two sons because they simply moved to a nearby village. I mean, he just cut them out of the will because in that time you didn't move. In that day, people were born and they would live and they would die their whole lives in the same place. And they would do the same jobs and they would know the same people their whole lives. And yet God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, it's going to be different for you. You see, the whole movement of scripture in Genesis is we see this movement east out of Eden. And it's this picture of the loss of community, that the further people of God move away from Eden, it's like this picture of moving out of Shalom. And God comes to Abraham and he says, you guys are a long way away, so you need to head west now. This whole movement out of community is ending, and I'm sending you that way, back to the land of Canaan. He says, I'm going to, go, I'm going to send you to a land, and you're going to leave all of this good land. What land? He says, God says, the land I'm going to show you. Now, God doesn't give a whole lot of details at this point. It's like, Abraham, go. And Abraham's like, this going thing, what exactly is that? Well, just follow me. You know, I was just thinking this week, That's not a lot of information that Abraham goes home with to tell his wife about, is it? And wives, come on now, you tend to want to know these sort of things. You want to know the details. When you ask your husband, how was your day? You want more than a, uh, right? You actually want details. Who did you talk to? What did you talk about? Now, just imagine for a moment what this conversation was like. Abraham comes home from work, maybe, comes to Sarah and he says, okay, honey, pack up everything. Uh, We're moving. We're leaving our homes, we're leaving our families, we're leaving our parents, we're leaving our relatives, and we're going to leave everything that we've ever known that's ever been familiar to us. So let's get packed up. Her first question, okay, where are we going? Abraham, well, I don't know. Exactly. I'll know it when I see it. Sarah's question, why? Why would we do this? Abraham, well, God told me to. Sarah, God who? Like, you have to remember at this time, There are no scriptures, no sacred texts, no churches or synagogues. As far as we know, the tribes of the people where Abraham lived, they all just kind of worshipped their own little tribal gods. 
I mean, think of this. In, in Joshua 24.2, it says, Long ago, our forefathers, including Terah, who's the father of Abraham, lived beyond the river and they worshipped other gods. So we can pretty safely assume that the family of Abraham just worshipping their little tribal gods and then one day, the God of all gods, capital G God, shows up in Abraham's life and says, it's going to be different for you. I'm choosing you in a whole new adventure of the redemption of the world. And now all of a sudden, Abraham comes to his wife and says, God has approached me and says we're to leave. And so they leave and they go to a place they've never been to, have never heard of, can't Google map it, nothing. They don't have images or pictures of where they're going to be. No forwarding address to leave behind for the mailman. It's this remarkable occurrence. It's just remarkable. I mean, you could say it's the only time in history of the human race where a wife says to her husband, do you know where we're going? And her husband can honestly say, God only knows. And it's the absolute literal truth because he has no idea where he's going. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, at some point along the way, what's the question that Sarah is going to ask? Wives will ask their husbands, which is, why don't you stop and ask for directions? You have no idea where you're going. Just stop and ask. But it's no, no use. Like, it's no use asking for directions because they don't even know where they're going. So Abraham's literally able to say to her, I can't stop and ask for directions. It's not just because I'm timing how fast I can make this trip. It's because I don't actually know where I'm going. Here's the idea. What you see in Abraham is a man who holds so tightly to God, which means he holds loosely to everything else. This is an amazing thing. Abraham holds so tightly to God and to his mission, which means he holds loosely to everything else. And as I prayed about it this week, I'm, I'm just thinking that maybe that's what we need to do over our missions focus this month, is just take some time to reflect on that. So I want us to take a, a moment of honest assessment here as a church. And honestly, as you can figure it, this question, what is it that you could be holding on to so tightly that it keeps you from being fully engaged in God's global mission? I mean, what is it that we could be holding on to so tightly that it's keeping us from being the people of blessing that the world is, that the God is calling us to be to the world? Another way of asking it, who is it or what is it in your life that you're holding on to, on to so tightly that it prevents you from being fully responsive to God in every area of life. What might it be in your life? It could be stuff. It could be the things that we own. It could be prestige because a, a movement into responsiveness to God puts that at risk. It might be a reputation. It might be security. It might be a particular relationship. It might be a way that other people think about you. It might be a physical appearance. I just wonder what comes to mind when I ask you that question. What could possibly in your life what possibly could you be holding on to so tightly that it keeps you holding on firmly to God? That keeps you from launching with great freedom to be a blessing to the world? Now, often when I talk about these things, people's first reaction is, oh, great, so I have to sell my home, sell my car, and move somewhere horrible. No, this does not mean necessarily that you just take a vow of poverty. You know, in Genesis 13, the next chapter, Abraham's following God's invitation. Look what it says. says Abraham became very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Just a statement of fact. So he's not a poor man. But what he had, he held loosely. So how do we know this? Well, the scriptures tell us that Abraham's traveling with his nephew, a guy named Lot. And they traveled together and they ended up at this place in a land near an area called Bethel. 
And Abraham and Lot both had so much stuff that the land couldn't support both of them. So the scripture says that Abraham takes Lot to this place where they can look over, get a span view of two sections of land. One of them is watered by the Jordan, and it's very desirable. The other parcel of land is much less desirable, not much water. But watch this. Abraham had the rights to choose whichever one he wanted. He could have chosen whichever one he wanted because he was the elder person and he's the powerful one. And yet they stand on this mountaintop with all of their stuff and he says to his nephew, you know what, you pick. Whichever one you want. Because the stuff I have, it's not really what's dominating my life. I'm here to follow God in this great adventure of blessing. That's what I'm doing. So Lot, you choose. And Lot chooses the best land. Well, if it's my choice, I'm taking the one with water on it. And Abraham doesn't react. He doesn't have like a temper tantrum. Abraham is ready to be fully responsive or fully generous because whatever he holds on to, he holds so loosely. The writer of Hebrews puts it like this. It's a powerful word. It's a powerful image. It says, Our ancestors in the faith, people like Abraham and Sarah, admitted that as people of faith, they were aliens and strangers on earth. That's what the book of Hebrews says. And reflecting on these people. I mean, who stands on a place, on a vista, and says to someone younger in that, in that time and place, you pick the better spot, because even though I've got a lot of stuff, it's not really mine. I'm going to open-handed with it. We're here to follow God, so relationship is even more important than my stuff. And so if I have an opportunity to bless you a lot, absolutely, you go right ahead. Talk about acting in an alien kind of way. You see, it is possible for us to get so attached to stuff and refuse to follow God and being a blessing to the world. It can happen. But the writer of Hebrews says that people of faith who are on mission with God, they refuse to let themselves get attached to anything, to money, success, comfort, security. They refuse to get attached to anything that could interfere with their journey toward God and his kind of life and mission for the world. I want to take this home with us this weekend. So a little phrase. I'm going to ask you to remember it this weekend. It's just four words. It's I am an alien. Okay, that's our word. Can you want to say it with me? Can we say that together? Four words. I am an alien. Some of you have struggled with that. It's okay. We'll get it in the next few days. And here's what we're going to do. The next time you see a commercial or some marketing scheme that suggests in order for you to be a human being that's truly blessed, you need to buy their product. You just say to yourself, say it out loud in front of your TV or computer. I am an alien. I don't know, next time a police officer pulls you over and asks to see your license, give that a shot. I'm an alien. This world is not my home. And then you call me and see what happens. I want to know what happened there. The whole idea here is that God calls his people to travel light and to hold stuff loosely. That's what people who are fully on mission with God do. Because nothing, nothing hinders them from being responsive to the invitations of God to bless the people of the whole world that God loves so much. This is what God's mission is all about and how it happens. You know, it's not up to you personally to bless every family on earth, but God does call you. He does call me to do our part in the expansion of this shalom way in the world. And it's up to God how he orchestrates the movements of his people, some to stay here, some to go over there, some to have much, some to have little. God's orchestrating all of that. All he asks of us is be clear on the why. And then posture your life so that you can be fully responsive to the invitations of God to bless the peoples of the earth, whatever that looks like. You know, honestly, there can be so much guilt tossed around when we start talking about 
missions and God's grand adventure to bless the world with the good news of Jesus, we start talking about courageous acts of justice and compassion. We can start in churches to create these hierarchies of servants in God's kingdom. And perhaps many of us, during these times of year, we beat ourselves up because we look around and we feel like we should be doing more for God in the world, like that person, or that's a really devoted follower of Jesus over there, that family. But what if this missions month, we just decided to do it a little bit different than that? That instead of guilting ourselves into what we're not doing, what if we did this? What if we just committed to pressing into these two things? To first get really clear on the why. That God's doing something for a reason. To understand what it means in God's eyes to be a blessing to the world. What does the shalom of God look like in every family expressed all across the world? Let's press into that. And then second, simply consider what it would be like for you to posture your life where you hold things so loosely that you're just ready to be responsive to God's invitations of blessing. And that maybe the heart of missions isn't so much about getting the grand vision of how to reach the world. It's simply the people of Jesus cutting the lag time between when God invites us and when we respond. And that maybe that's the whole adventure of missions. Leaving the orchestration of the movements of God's people in his hands and every single person and every single church simply pausing and posturing ourselves and saying, God, we're not holding on to anything that will keep us back. So you give us the invitation to go. You give us the invitation to give. You give us the invitation to respond and we will step in in the moment because we have nothing to fear. We're holding on to nothing we're afraid of losing because Jesus, we have you and you're everything we need. You know, this way you can abandon all the competition and comparison in the kingdom. And each one of us, every church, can confidently play the part that God has called us to play in blessing the world for his glory. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next number of weekends. Would you pray with me? Worship team, won't you come to just lead us in a closing song? Let's just pray for a moment. Just want to pause in these next uh, few moments and consider what the Spirit is saying to you today, what He's been saying to me. And honestly, I think it's really centered around this kind of reflection. It's that question, God, am I holding on to anything so tightly that would keep me from being responsive to your invitation to bless somebody? What kind of things might we be holding on to that would keep us from responding fully as participants in God's global adventure, this global rescue mission of bringing shalom to the families of the earth. You know, maybe it's a, maybe it's a financial reality. We're gripping so tight to our finances and what we perceive as financial security that we're not responding to new levels of sacrifice for God's cause in the world. And we're holding on to what we believe is ours. And that maybe in this season, what God's doing is saying, just open your hands to me. How about you get all the resources I've poured into your life, start moving them into circulation for the kingdom, and then see if you're still lacking. I'm wondering if God is calling any of you into new serving opportunities. But the thing that we hold on to so tightly is our calendar, our time. It's my time. I want to own my time. And so God's saying, would you worship me by surrendering your calendar to me?
I wonder if some God has even been stirring to be involved personally in God's global work somewhere in the world. He's not going to call everybody to somewhere in other parts of the world. He calls some. And I wonder if in these days God's been stirring some of your hearts to play your part in the kingdom by being a sent one to go do this. But what you're hanging on to right now is maybe a sense of security. And the first questions we're asking, well, is it safe? And God's answer is like, no, it's not safe. It's never safe, but it is good. And it's what you were made for. Perhaps what God's calling us to in these days is a renewed commitment to intercession. But many of us hold back. And what we're holding on to is some insecurity because, well, I don't pray as good as that person. There's real prayer warriors out there. I couldn't possibly pray in the way that God wants me to, to absolutely shape nations through intercession. And yet you sense God stirring in your heart to let go of some of the insecurities around your own prayer life and say, God, I'm willing to step in. I'm not going to hold on to image management. Instead, I'm going to release it all to you and be the person that you've made me to be. I just want you to pause and simply ask, what do you need to let go of in this season that positions you to be fully responsive to God as a conduit of blessing? Just go with that question for just a moment. And Father, I pray that over the next uh, number of weekends, as we hear more about the global movement that you initiated, started with Abraham, came through Christ to the church, that we would never feel this sense of being guilted into service, but we would actually be inspired and be resonating with your movement in the world. And that what gets us up in the morning is not just the pursuit of more money. It's not just the pursuit of a better job. It's not just the pursuit of accolade or recognition, but what gets us up in the morning is your invitation that you initiated so long ago but have been so faithful to, that you are committed to being a blessing, to bringing blessing to every family on earth, and you invite us to be part of it. And it's worth getting up for. It's worth giving our all for. For the good news of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. There's no other hope outside of him. And so in the days to come, as you position your church to respond, would we see the darkness pushed back and the shalom of God come to rest with power on every family on earth. To that end, we worship and pray and give. We do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one final song? And I just want to send you with these words as you go, as you, as you are commissioned and sent into this next missions month that you would be experiencing the shalom of God in your own life and that the overflow of God's presence in you becomes a blessing to every single person you interact with that God places in your path. That as that's happening, it starts that chain reaction of shalom across the world and it could begin with us. And so go in the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, living out the very calling to which he's placed upon you to simply be responsive to his spirit in every moment and to fearlessly follow this God who is so good to you and he loves you so much. And he loves the world through you. God bless you as you go. Have a great weekend.